All right, fine. <laughs> Welcome to the Imaginary Studio, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah. I, and I guess you've been watching a lot of Community lately. We've been, yeah, we're we've been watching a lot of Community. We're we're on the dreaded season four now, and uh, uh, I've been waiting for it be, because we've been having such a good time, season one, two, and three. And in my head, I was like, I doubt it's that bad. I, you know, I remember not enjoying it, but I've been reading, and I've been reading about uh, the lead ups to it and what mm-hmm, what went wrong mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and all of that. And there's some fascinating stuff going back and looking at that where I didn't realize that. Uh, and I, I don't have their names because I wasn't expecting to talk about this at all. The yeah. two, Chevy Chase and Donald Glover? No, no. The two directors oh. uh, that did the first paintball episode went on to be the, the duo that did the uh, Affinity Wars and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they got picked up because of that paintball episode. They did 21. They directed like 21 episodes. Yeah. But, uh, but that paintball episode like was the standout for, for how well they handled stuff. Yeah, on the off chance that you don't keep, uh... and they all left at the same time. Oh yeah, they all season four. Everybody, everybody just left, and like they may not have left in solidarity because they got the Marvel jobs. I mean, they might have been leaving anyway. Right. But I'll pretend it was solidarity because it probably was. Because because one of them, uh, one of them, I think came back for season five for some of it. Maybe. Right. I don't know. I I only bring up. That's not a board game. I only bring it up because you tried to convince me to to sing a Troy and Abed uh, Mitch and Steve piece to, to bring us in. Should. Yeah, yeah. Mitch and Steve talk about board yeah. You're not going to do it. I, I tried, <laughs> uh, but we hit season four and it's terrible. Yeah, it feels uh, completely different, and uh, you know, I laugh so much less. Yeah, I did a similar thing. I I, I dug into. Uh, I I had hoped it was going to be good. And I think I watched one or two, and then I didn't. I didn't do it. Couldn't do it. We we just uh, saw the episode last night where Abed uh, does the uh, dance stuff, and he meets the girl that he likes. And, oh yeah. And Melissa had to point out that that's she's she's in the Marvel movies too now. She's yeah, she's Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. I didn't. I never would have noticed. I have a problem with faces and Brie Brie Larson. I think yeah. Yeah, yeah I love Community and. Uh, to make it tabletop gaming, uh, tabletop gaming related at least. D and D. The D and D episodes and, are and amazing. And Dan Harmon himself is a huge D and D fan and does live D and D. Yeah. Uh, stuff. But if you that. ever wanted to see a representation of the, of tabletop Dungeons and Dragons in a in a funny show, the two Dungeons and Dragons episodes, I mean, they're seasons apart. I think are very funny, very good. I think once, uh, not till season five or something. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Brilliant. Yes. Great tie-in, Steve. Yeah, I, that's what I'm here for. Steve, Steve and Mitch in the what? board. What? Oh, 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 no. At least <laughs> you had a coffee cup. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah. We'll work on it. So speaking of tabletop games, anything, uh, what's going on in, in your world? We, uh, I don't know, we had uh, we had a, uh, what was it, Sunday? Sunday we played like Macy got excited about uh, mystery themes. Oh yeah, we I brought out Clue, 
because I, I was digging through. Uh, I have like a trunk where I lock away all of the <laughs> oversized uh, games from my childhood that I don't oh. stock ticker. Yeah. I played stock ticker. Stock ticker is one of the driest uh, games imaginable. I mean, it sounds like it. It's uh, it's basically, it's, it's like an Excel sheet right. <laughs> that you have pawns on and you roll dice and you buy stocks and each, it's like a ledger basically. So whenever you roll the dice, uh, one, one commodity will go up or down and like oh. one dice might pay out a dividend and you, yeah. you get money. And that's, that's the whole game. It's, um, it's bland stock market game and i used to solo this game when i was a kid for hours <laughs> because i this is nobody to amazing play games with and stuff and like it's such an easy game to play yourself you just roll the dice and and play the stock market uh stock but that game, that game not to be con- not to be confused with their next game paint dryer which is really fun as well <laughs> probably just as fun. uh that the stock tickers in there uh strategos in there monopolies in there pole economies in there which is an, originally i think an australian game and it's it's like a more exciting uh monopoly game where it's got real world tie-ins where you are buying and the re- one of the reasons i loved it was uh because it's, you're like an ad exec kind of you're buying oh yeah advertising and uh, and companies right and it's like real brands and real advertising and and uh, and the canadian version one person is the prime minister and oh. gets gets to uh switch the inflation track and the money goes up and down and you buy canadian <laughs> uh insurance and and savings bonds and like oh god the, and all the money is uh like hundreds of thousands of dollar bills instead of Weird. like 10 bucks it's like 100,000 500,000 right. uh and it's all canadian beavers over the whole thing i don't know what the australian version has wow but the canadian version it's uh you're playing pieces your your meeple or are, are these cast resin beavers and oh, uh, all of the money has been any anyway in this giant trunk of games we don't play anymore uh, i pulled clue out and i thought oh, macy loves mysteries we read nancy drew stuff yeah uh, carmen san diego clue crew carmen well get yeah we'll get to that Oh, okay. We'll get to that. Uh, I read your mind. We brought out Clue, and we I had to go and get the pieces because we used the uh, resin pieces. This is a newer version where they actually have, like, painted minis. Yeah. Uh, and we were, great using, looking. we were using those in the Elder Sign game because they look right. like 1920s, uh, 50s, 40s. I don't know what a decade Elder Sign is in anymore. It's old. And the clue, yeah, I think 20s. And the Clue characters fit that scene. So we were using them in Elder Sign. So we went and got those out, and Macy loved it. It's a giant map with tiny painted toy figures, and and she just wanted to play. And with weapons all over yeah. the place. She was, yeah. she was having a good – I gave her a bunch of D&D set dressing stuff that uh, my friend Ryan had painted and sent out. Oh, cool. And she had a great time. But we set up. I showed her how to play the game, and then Melissa came down, and we played uh, Clue. And wow. uh, I, I won, but Macy did pretty good. She was making notes. She was loving – making notes and then yeah. she wanted to play with the board and the minis for so much longer and then we played again because she wanted to play again uh, wow it was great uh and and i learned some things about clue clue's interesting some new things about it's clue his, that you didn't know before well yeah because i you know i don't think about it uh yeah. much so then i i want to know why does this game exist yeah fair enough you know uh every time i look at old uh games like this where we kind of think of them now as uh 
the mainstream game that we're getting away from because right. hobby games have gotten so much more interesting and mechanics are lusher and gameplay is is got so much more going on and we sort of dismiss these games uh but but the interesting thing is always to me that this is this is the foundation you know like this is the history of of where everything came from and and why it's there like sure, yeah uh before clue like monopoly came out before clue and uh we talked about game of life and stuff before but before yeah. that it was all checkers and uh, right chess and most of the time anything board game-ish was like uncle wiggly and and, <laughs> and games where you roll the dice and you move the thing like Candyland, and you move forward and you, and you did stuff so whenever a game like uh clue comes out where yeah. it, it sort of changes what you're doing like entirely and and this was done by uh what's their names i don't even have their names in front of me right now i was thinking about clue it's uh it's Anthony Pratt. Anthony Pratt, yeah. And not in the credit is his wife Eva, who they designed the game together. She she drew the original board. Uh, he was super into mystery books and stuff, and and they were into uh, parlor games and and they worked on this game together and they put this game together. But of course, the way things work, uh, yeah. Eva seems to be left out. Uh, but they hit. How did it start? started with uh, his buddy uh had actually published a game before right his, his buddy put a game together called buccaneer buccaneer uh, buccaneer like pirates okay yeah yeah uh, well, but i don't think pirate is a direct translation of buccaneer uh, but he got a game published by waddington's which is the big uh mall store i don't know it's like a yeah woolworth's sort of thing right uh, yeah they they had their hand in everything. It, that was in 1938 that he had that published. In 1943, Anthony Pratt was uh, working in in factories that were just making tank parts. I think he was in Britain. Uh, right. It's a terrible time. War. Britain is sort of on a clamp down from air raids, and uh, I guess he was just like bored and trying to trying to find ways. I guess the book. I what book is it? I was reading the book, uh, It's All a Game, which is a history of board games uh, by Tristan Donovan. Right. It's a really fun book. It's a very short uh, histories of, of games. So it's right. a quick way to get uh, fun reads. Uh, but it, he was saying people were kind of jerks during the war and they would just let it slide because, well, it's war. What do you expect? So like, right. people were rude. People were, which is understandable. It's a pretty cranky time. But he was trying to, what can I do to help was sort right. of the, the gist of it and decided that uh, he played uh, a buccaneer with his buddy and he decided, well, maybe we can make a game too. So him and his wife who loved murder mysteries and parlor games uh, took the concept of the parlor game murder where it's sort of a social deduction right. game and people walk around and talk to each other and then you get a tap on the shoulder or a poke and a, you get a yeah, signal yeah. that you're, you're dead. And they wanted to see if they could make that sort of vibe for a game. And they came up with Clue. And uh, his buddy, Jeffrey Bull, who invented uh, Buccaneer, hooked him up with the Waddington's people that he knew who had published huh. his game. And they, they liked Clue and they wanted to publish it. And those guys were in a deal with Parker Brothers uh, because they had the, the British rights to publish Monopoly. So oh, wow. they thought the game was so good that they pitched it themselves to Parker Brothers, 
And Parker Brothers said no, because Parker Brothers had a rule that they would never publish a game that had to do with murder. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and one of the high ups at Parker Brothers was like, this game is too good. We have to, we have to do it anyway. And they were able to convince the uh, Parker Brother dudes that maybe we should give this a try. And they changed, wow. a, changed a bunch of stuff in the rules. Uh, to be less murdery? Not, not so much, sort of. They'd, they'd switch the dagger to a knife. Uh, uh. They, they don't say murder in the write-up in the rules, in the original rules. It's the act. Oh, wow. But they changed the name of the, of the victim to Mr. Body. Which is, you know, comedy, huh. I guess. Yeah. Um, Mr. Body. They changed uh, the Tudor. It was originally called the Tudor Close, and they changed it to the Tudor Mansion because Americans don't. Like, right. We don't call houses the Close. I don't know what. Uh, yeah. How that okay. even works. No. Nope. Uh, and, and, and a good one uh, Reverend Green got changed to Mr. Green because they were worried mm. about the religious. Uh, Right, being upset about a reverend being involved in a murder. So eventually got switched back. Like our newer version of Clue has has Reverend Green. Oh, really? So that eventually got switched back. Um, whatever. That's that's a big deal. They released the game. Uh, they were still against the idea of the game, even as they published it. So they swore they wouldn't advertise it at all, and they didn't advertise it as it got published. And within like a few years, it became one of their best-selling games. Like. Uh, wow, it it sold something like nineteen thousand copies or something in the first couple of years, uh, but slowly and slowly it it came out huger and huger. Where I think I highlighted something in this book where uh, nineteen ninety six the total sales surpassed one hundred and fifty million. Wow, uh, and unfortunately, um, husband and wife duo that created it barely got anything. They kind of got screwed out uh. of, screwed out of the whole thing. Uh, Waddington's convinced them to sell uh, the rights to the game to them for outside of Britain for 5,000 pounds, which was by, in the book, it says uh, the equivalent of about $190,000. Right. Uh, which sounds awesome, but uh, by by the time they're, uh, what do you call it? The rights, Selling games. The rights ran out. Yeah, they were making enough. They were making money off the royalties, and then their their copyright ran out in like '67 or something. And, oh, and no one even, you know, that was that was the end. They got no money, uh, so it kind of sucked. But that that's yeah, that's brutal. Originally called Cluedo too, so they yes. changed the name in North America to Clue. Clue, yeah. There's probably a bunch of other changes that I. I mean, I'm just. I'm just trying to it's an, as quick as I can. Cause. It's an interesting one because I never owned a copy of Clue ever. And, uh, you know, I always had some of the other big ones like Monopoly being probably the biggest one in, in my house. Um, and a friend of mine had Clue. But I have really fond memories of Clue still um, as as being a game that created an atmosphere and some tension and it did it did a different it, it was way different than monopoly uh, how i felt about it oh, and then the other the other I games in my great. life were were mass market toys right like yeah. they weren't proper board games like don't break the ice or don't wake daddy or crocodile dentist those were all just alarm clock 
games. Well, Sunday and, you know, to to tie in our end of our mur- murder mystery, uh, we played thirteen thirteen Dead End Drive, which was the sequel uh, yeah. to Thirteen Dead End Drive, and yeah. that is a weird. I mean, it's a plastic toy. It's a big. A game it's a lot of toys. Yeah, plastic traps that kill off the dinner guests, and that's yeah. a weird one. Where Clue, you know, playing with a seven year old. She gets that, okay, someone was murdered, you know, and, and then forgets that idea. And then it's just a, a cool logic puzzle that we're trying right. to solve. And like the whole point of the board is just to sort of slow the game down, right? Sure. You just have to move. You're not allowed to, to make suggestions until you go into a thing. Into There's player them, elimination yeah. in Clue too, because you're allowed to make one accusation in the entire game. And if you're right. wrong, you're out. Yeah. So. Uh, Forgot about that. So you make suggestions. You go into a room and we, and we found it by accident. We found a way to play with younger kids uh, where normally when you go into a room, you make a suggestion where you take uh, any of the characters, any of the weapons, and then the room that you're in. And that becomes the suggestion of what might have happened in the act. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the person to your left uh, reveals uh, a card if they have one to counter your idea. And then they secretly show you that card and you make a note on your thing until you figure out Right. Who's in the the three cards in the in the middle are going to be the actual uh, murderer and the weapon in the room, and you have one chance to guess that. But we accidentally, uh, because we didn't really, we kind of skimmed the rules and like hey, we played this a million times. Let's just go. Uh, we were showing everybody the card. Huh. So I would say uh, Professor Plum in the observatory with the rope, and Melissa would go. Here, I have this card. I have the observatory. And Macy and I would both mark it down. Right. Uh, which speeds the game up a whole bunch huh. and makes it easier uh, for Macy to play because she's getting the same information. We can help a little bit. Well, it's kind of funny, actually, because I was th- as you're talking, I'm thinking, like, thematically, what ex- is exactly going on in this game? And then, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you're all detectives, right? No. Uh, you're not detectives. No, you're... D- well, I mean, maybe you are, but you're you're playing as one of the like your mover is just one of the other people. You just whoever's oh, you right. just move around oh, as one of the people. It's like you're at a dinner party. It's the feel of the game, whether right. or not in oh. the rules it explains that you're a detective or not. I'm not sure, but right. like, when you're playing the mm. game, you don't have a detective meeple that you're moving. You're moving as a house guest. Right. Oh yeah, it's been too long. I, I, it's been way too long since I played. The version it, but... I have uh, has a backstory for each character. Right, and it, and it explains like uh, Miss Scarlet is actually uh, Miss Peacock's uh, daughter, and oh, it was, there was some weird stuff because there was like stuff that made like, what does that mean? Like Miss Scarlet, uh, I think she had a failed acting career, and so she moved right. on to uh, enticing widowers and like, and uh, oh wow, trying to marry. Yeah. She kind of became like a gold digger, and Macy's like, well, well, what, what's that mean? What, what <laughs> like an archaeologist? <laughs> I don't think they used the word gold digger, but she was like, right. <laughs> you know, she needed, she need, she was curious what, what these words meant that we're talking yeah. about how this woman was now living off of preying on, uh, widows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, totally. Uh, we laughed about that. But, uh, after that, anyway, we played clue. It, it went really well. It's a great logic puzzle. It's a simple, simple game to play. And, totally. th- and then we moved on to Carmen San Diego which has oh. a card game and it's a, it's a card game based off of uh, the video game uh, from a long time ago. Oh, I remember the so video So it's game. slightly different than like the TV show that we've been watching recently. 
And we've we bought it at uh, Frenchies, and we've had it on the shelf for a long time because it had a lot of words on the cards, and I was worried, yeah, that, you know, until she can read, we won't play this one. But it's a really neat. Uh, it it's goes like really geog- well with Clue. It's it's a no. There's no there's no geography. It's it's a it's pointless not- game. It's a logic uh, memory puzzle. So right. it, you're trying to same as Clue. You're trying to have three cards where you have uh, a suspect, mm. a location and and a, a, a loot so you're like this dude stole this here right and you have for your notes you have this little dry erase uh, passport type of card that has each location tied in with what was stolen and you have to find that pair on the table right. and then anybody it doesn't matter who stole it you can pick anybody uh, as a card that stole it as long as it's not carmen san diego and you hmm. All of your stuff is face down, and to find it, you roll a dice, and that dice tells you you can look at either a loot card, a location card, or a henchman card to find out where they are. And then you're trying to find pairs, and then you say, I, I found a pair, basically. You say, I have a warrant for an arrest. And it was uh, Frank B. Noozle. He stole, and it's, it's all dumb, funny stuff. Like, right. uh, you can go to New Delhi and steal Gandhi's glasses. You can Weird. Uh, you go to Montreal and steal the Hudson Bay. You oh wow! Can, like, That's a big heist. It's yeah, it's a big heist. There's huge stuff. You can steal the Grand Canyon, like it's stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not stealing it. You're catching people who are doing that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the the whole maneuver. Uh, every time you make one of those pairs, you get to switch one of your cards with the three cards that are in the middle, which is uh, a face down location, a face down loot card, and a face down. Uh, suspect card and once you know that the two in the middle are a matched pair and you know where Carmen San Diego is anywhere on the table you can get catch some Carmen San Diego and then you win huh. and cool. it, it works really well it's a uh, we played a, a rule slightly wrong uh, where we we were playing uh, the way I'd explained it was you had to have Carmen San Diego in the middle too which which mm. broke the game because uh, like the first time Macy and I just played ourselves and Macy had Carmen San Diego, but I can't move her cards to the center. So once I knew mm. she had Carmen San Diego, I would have had to wait until she moved Carmen San Diego to the center. And right. in in that time, that would mean she would control the game and be able to move out the other cards that I knew. But you don't have to move Carmen San Diego to the center. You just have to find her and know where she is. Ah, so cool. It's really good. It's yeah. a great, great $3 game. I don't know how yeah, much it is or if it's available anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder with the uh, probably the increase in popularity from the new Carmen San Diego show. I wonder have they worked up a new version with the new art style and stuff. I don't know. This is all pixel art from the from like the early nineties or late eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Carmen have... San Diego is just the just almost like a uh, just one a single image, right? It's like she wasn't a, necessarily a character. Yeah, the way it... she is in the the current show no. and books and stuff, right? And like in the original, like she she was like the bad guy. Yeah. And the new one, she's the hero. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Because in the new one, she she turns on her criminal buddies, and is bringing them down. She's like a, well, she's not even a Robin Hood. She's just taking down the bad guys. Right. From the inside. Well, she's not even from the inside. No. Good uh, for her. I I have more, but that would be hogging. So what what have you played? <laughs> Hog it up, man. Hog it up. Um, we, I honestly haven't really been been playing a whole lot. I know I was, uh, I 
was talking about last week how I was hoping to kind of wean the kids off of Ratatat Cat, and then I thankfully remembered that uh, I had some other oh, you card got, games. You got Lama, didn't you? Yeah, I got Lama, um, the Reiner Kinesia little card game that came out last year. Um, that was nominated for Spiel des Jahres, right? I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's uh. So it got got some praise and or got popular for a while anyways i forgot about it i took it out and uh a little too much for violet uh but sam has really kind of taken a shining to it so yeah llama which i'm still confused about llama because it 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 looks like it's an acronym right it's like l dot l dot a and i'm like what do all these stand for but it never is explained anywhere i don't know why the dots are there it's probably nothing but um yeah llama's just uh, a little card game and it's where, all capitals too yeah it's all capitals like it anyways there's a there's a little mystery there but uh you have a uh hand of cards you get six cards to start they range from one to six plus you have llama cards uh and basically you have a few options on your turn you can uh if you, there was a a one played in front of you you can play a one on that or you can play a two on that and you can play cards in ascending order up to six you can play llamas on sixes. You can play ones on llamas and start it all over again. The uh, which sounds really boring and, and and trite, but it actually has some interesting decisions. And and this is where I think uh, you know, Sam gets a big kick out of it. Is that you can quit at any point. Uh, well, I should say how you, you score points. You score points based on uh, the number of the uh, the card in your hand. So you know your ones, all your ones. Are worth one all your sixes are just worth six and your llamas are worth 10 so you're trying to get rid of your cards to get the least number of points um, but the neat decision making comes uh, from the fact of strategically quitting i think is a big one um and knowing when to draw to get more cards or or when to kind of cut your lot cut your losses knowing when to fold that's you, this is a very fold. kenny rogers uh, yeah you've got to know when to fold them yeah so it's it's you know, there's a lot of luck going on in this game, but um, there's there's some neat decision space that doesn't exist in a game like Red Attack Cat, where yeah, you can. Uh, it took a, quite a few games for Sam to realize all of a sudden he was he was trying to egg out of me, or I might go like, ugh, like looking at my hand. He's like, oh, you got you got a bunch of llamas over there. I'm like, no, and then he might just like, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be done this turn. And I'm like, ah. So he figured out a way to kind of stick you with points, which that, that's kind of a neat thing. It's, At the same, it's, I was saying to you when when we first played the game uh, that that's like the difference between playing that game with people who play card games and yeah. people who play board games. Where uh, maybe maybe it's not, but there's a difference whenever you play with certain people. Where some people will be will have this feeling like they just they have to play this hand out. Right, and they'll and they'll try and they'll push harder, where other yeah. people will be analyzing it and playing the points, and we'll yeah. just be like, "I'm folding," you know. It's yeah. it's there's way less chance. The odds are yeah. like huge that I'm gonna, you know, I only have six points right now. What are you What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, and and when that happens, and you're able to, because if somebody folds as long as they're not the last person you're allowed to keep going and if right. they are the last person as long as they didn't go out as long as they fold you can keep playing as long but you yeah. no longer can draw cards so you can empty your hand if you can yeah which creates uh, i know at least for my kid uh created probably one of the most rewarding moments in the game where mm-hmm. i'm like you know what i'm gonna fold 
And then Sam just went bang, bang, bang and played out his hand. He was like, ah, like it was a huge celebration that I quit and thought I was kind of sticking him with points. And he played all his cards out and got to get rid of a token. That was a huge, huge kind of victory. There's a, there's a weird, I think it's maybe an omission in the rules that fixes uh, the one issue that I had with the game where there's the, the white tokens are worth one. The black tokens are worth 10. If you finish your hand, you can get rid of a chip. And it says specifically a white one or a black one. doesn't yeah. matter. But it doesn't say uh, how to deal with the chips. And I think, yeah, it, should, I think it should say every time you get nine, uh, ten chips, you should switch them for a black chip. Yeah. Because it's the only way it becomes fair. Because if everybody keeps taking white chips, then somebody might cash in and get a black chip and then be able to cash out. So as long as yeah. everybody is always cashing in 10 white chips for a black chip yeah. and it's always fair when someone goes out, they can cash out a black one. It's, yeah. it's like the one really weird off balance. It's, it's a good point. I mean, we play it that way by default, but it does not say it in the rules. You're right. Uh, and I, I really like that about the game. It, it makes for a neat catch up mechanism where uh, we've we've played a ton now this past week, so there've been a couple real swingy games where it looks like uh, you know I'm going to run away with it, and then it just swings in the other direction, and, oh, yeah. and you lose. I've been you lose I've all been your trash points. Trash talking because like, look at that! I've got two chips, and you guys are at like thirty, and I've lost. Yeah, so yeah, nice. and you can lose in one hand if you get stuck oh, with yeah. a bunch of llamas. No um, but it, it's a fun it's a fun little game. It honestly has me really excited uh, now that. It's a $13 game. Yeah, exactly. And if, even if, uh, you know, it's a great replacement for Uno, it's a great replacement for any of those card games. Yeah. And it's a, such a simple, quick game to learn and play with any age. It's like, it's a great, yeah. I like yeah. It. Well, it's, it's got me really excited because now that our kids are starting to read a little more, uh, it's kind of opening the window to some small amount of text on cards so it has me really excited and and i know we've mentioned this game a lot in the past little while um abandon all artichokes right right. (laughs) i went i went to order it today and because i'm like i really want to try this game uh but it doesn't look like it's available in canada quite yet so it was like 12.99 it's going to be another like kind of cheap great game right game probably like 15 or 20 bucks here in canada i imagine but it's 12.99 in the u.s uh, plus $24 shipping to Canada. So it's like, okay, I'll wait. Um, but the reason I was kind of back on it is because uh, Emma Larkin, the designer of that game, posted a designer diary on Board Game Geek. And yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, every now and again, uh, design, designers post diaries of their thought process designing board games and put them on Board Game Geek. And there's some of my favorite pieces when those come out that are really cool and insightful about how someone goes about designing games. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it changes drastically over the course of a few years. Um, and yeah, this, this has got me pretty excited about this game and it, it, it's a pretty good read, pretty interesting. Uh, just to give you a couple highlights from it. Um, she was talking about how part of like just getting her brainstorming game design was she was doing this kind of thing, uh, doing a challenge a day which was like, I guess, a kind of hashtag that was going around, hashtag game design daily. So doing like little um, challenges every day. And one was uh, an alliterative game name challenge. So, you know, have a 
have the first letter and each word start with the same the same letter so she just did that on, on the bus and she has all these kind of games which are like uh uncle ulf's ultimatum essence emblem tattoo tangle tulip temptation sun smash moose comma meat mongoose and then down that list is uh abandon all artichokes and someone wrote her and was like, can I pre-order Abandon All Artichokes? And she was like, <laughs> it's not a game. I'm just kind of messing around. But from that little piece of inspiration, uh, like maybe I think she says like a few days later or a week later, doing another daily game challenge, one was design a game a day. And she's like, you know, not to go in with that with any pressure, but just to design like a really simple prototype. So she went back to that list and was like, all right, someone asked about Abandon All Artichokes. I'll go abandon all artichokes i like deck building games i'll go deck builder but because of abandon all artichokes the goal is you're getting rid of artichokes oh, and that's artichokes. like literally where it where it started for her which is kind of cool little you know serendipity that it all kind of matched up and she just kind of went all in on this idea and it, it sounds it sounds really fun uh, and she just has some great pointers um about pitching games and how she just pieced together the art and recommendations, you know, don't steal art from the internet. She bought like some art off an Etsy artist and just stuck googly eyes on them and stuff. And um, it's a, it's a fun read and it has me excited about that game. There is some text. Uh, I'm curious, like for example, um, the, uh, Oh God, what are they? I, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, there's a couple lines of text on each card because every vegetable or fruit has power but i think our kids are at a point where it, you could teach them to read the cards a few times and they might get frustrated with it they might bounce off it initially but because it's just a limited number of cards i think they would eventually memorize the card powers uh, which would give them context for reading you know like kids are always looking yeah. for like context clues and if they can get it read to them a few times and they're like oh right the banana does blank whatever they'll just they'll just memorize the powers really quickly the amount of stuff like when you explain a game to macy now and like we're starting to play more and more complicated games uh she remembers stuff like like i can't like oh me neither it's insane i'm always blown away that i'm my kid reminds me of rules and i'm like no i don't don't think so and then they're right like (laughs) minutiae of setup you know just like we put a we played Wizards one and we put all this stuff out and I read through the rules once and she's like oh I think that goes over there and that goes over there and like you know yeah so yeah it's very it's very impressive so yeah explaining a brightly colored picture on a card and saying that this card does that it'll stick with them yeah absolutely and then if they got to kind of piece the rest together by checking out a few words below I think I think it could work but I I think that would be a step up in card game to play with your kid from age you know seven or or eight to and on and i think you and i would probably have a fun time playing this game on our own so it's that's the kind of sweet spot you want to get for like a family card game it'd be fun to play with your kids but it'd be fun to play with your gamer buddies so i'm gonna check that one out um and see when it's when it's coming out in, in canada i'm very excited about it uh we continued our mystery sunday oh with with? A, with a game designed by a guy from Toronto, oh. um, who I suddenly forget his name, Stephen Sauer, Stephen Doodly Do, uh, Perlock Holmes. Perlock oh yeah, Holmes. yes, per- Stephen Sauer. Yeah, 
I've played that. Uh, I mean, you and I have played that before. Which is beautifully, beautifully illustrated. Uh, the art is by Jackie Davis, who I don't know if she's from Toronto, but she's done uh, work on Euphoria. She's done work on Ex Libris. She's done work on uh, Viticulture. Right. Um, she's listed on her BGG uh, page lists her working on like 68 games, which means probably there's a lot of expansion stuff in there. But she did, right. uh, she has art in another game that we have called Bell of the Ball, which is all uh, oh, yeah. dinner party stuff and uh, early bullfrogs. Uh, so much stuff. It's a huge list. She's done so much. And I just looking through the list, I'm like, oh, I, we have that game and we have that game. And uh, even Steven Sowers, he's done a bunch of games and I didn't know that we have other ones of his that we haven't played. But oh, Perlock really? Holmes is a fantastic, easy uh, logic puzzle to play with kids to to give them uh, just that it's a really basic logic puzzle to solve and it works really smoothly where I I, I don't know how beatable the game is. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I remember it's a fun, feeling it's a fun tough. puzzle and it's, it's entertaining because of the art and, and how quickly it works. But you're, uh, you're playing as cats, cat detectives, cat Sherlock Holmes Yep. And you're trying to catch uh, Furriarty, who's right. a fluffy, fluffy Persian, white Persian villain cat. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to escape. And all of the suspects that you're trying to track down are, there's like a crow, a frog, a bulldog, uh, a rat, and a goose. Right. And your your player board has a clock. Uh, so it has... A, just a regular clock 12 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 and then it has a yep. picture of the five uh, different animals at the bottom then you have uh, the left side has uh, Sherlock Holmes pipes in green and the right side has like dog bones or something in red and the way it works you draw a card from the, from the deck and that card is going to have a picture of an animal and it's going to have a time just the just the hour so six o'clock or seven o'clock right and you draw a card blindly and stand it up in front of you so that you can't see it and whoever you're playing with can and then you draw two more cards and one at right. a time you show them and it's going to have a picture of either the same animal or one of the other five animals and it's mm-hmm. going to have either the same time or a different time and you show everybody else and you're allowed to look at this one and uh, if the animal is the same or if the time shown is is either the exact time or one hour before or one hour after, they will tell you that that is a lead. Right. <clears throat> but if, if those things don't, if one of those doesn't match up, then it's a dead end. Hmm. So then you have two cards to start the game <clears throat> that are either leads or, or dead ends. And right. then you have a hand of four cards. And you pick one of your four cards and you show a new card and people give you the same information. And that's, that's it. Uh, then on your turn, you have a chance to try and guess. And there's a trail of tokens up to the uh, furry arty uh, giant token. And your right. the goal is to catch all the tokens and be able to catch him. <clears throat> In order to catch the tokens, you have to guess uh, correctly what the animal that you can't see in front of you is. And you either have to guess what hour their crime was committed or what animal it is or both. If you get one of them correct, you get one token, but if you're able to get both of them correct, you get two tokens and you can catch Ferriarity faster. But you have to deduce based on the information that you're gaining. Yeah. 
what animal it is. And it works, it works really well. It's a very smooth, simple logic puzzle. Uh, we can't catch him because it's hard. Fig- figuring out both things uh it kind of kind of is a perfect storm of of everything working out and like you can either figure out the numbers really well yeah or or the goose really or the picture really well the goose really well <laughs> it's a goose it's always a goose uh but it's fun that's it yeah i remember that feeling tough when, when you and i played it yeah, i think we played just... a rule wrong when you and i played because we mm-hmm. were having a problem getting new cards and you get new cards all the time unless you guess wrong uh yeah that that would help yeah i think that's Mm. what we did wrong but it was yeah because we didn't have enough uh new information to go on where this time we had like handfuls of cards because if you if you don't guess yeah uh you can get your cards but if you guess and you're wrong you don't get your cards and everything goes away and resets Hmm. interesting cool yeah, and then we played thirteen, thirteen dead end drive, which is is that what you capped the, it up, capped it off with? You yeah. mentioned that earlier. Yeah, and it's weird. It's a weird yeah. game. That I, one, I, I, I've had that, this game set up and ready to go. And do you uh, have the second one or do you the, have the first one? I think it's the thirteen, thirteen. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember if the first one is the same premise, but like explaining <laughs> this one to Macy, where okay, someone's died. Mm-hmm. And these are, and they were super rich. And these are all the relatives who are going to inherit all the money, but only if they kill off all of their relatives. Right. That's the premise. Yeah. You have to go around and manipulate everybody at this dinner party into these traps that will murder them so that you can somehow get all the money. Right. And then you have to get out of the house because if you don't get out of the house on time, all of the money goes to the uh, pet orphanage. <laughs> perfect sense yeah that's that's, life man and like that's the goofy stuff that they put into like make it a kids game like all the money goes to the pet orphanage but like somebody died and you have to manipulate and murder everybody you can at this party we have to make it look accidental as well oh yeah uh, of course you can't actually murder them it's accidents that's that's life man you might might as well learn those lessons now this is is, uh, school of hard school of hard knocks this 1313 yeah you never know when the, there's a secret stairs in your house that's going to drop you through the floor and, and break your legs. <laughs> Macy, uh, who does not really dig uh, knife-in-the-back type games, Yeah. Um, she was trying to get one of her characters out because it had all the money. And, uh, <laughs> and Melissa was trying to get one of her characters out who had all the money. So on your turn, you roll two dice and you get to move two different characters. <clears throat> so she escaped. And and then escaped Melissa as well. Oh, yeah, so sweet. They both had all the oh, money. How does that work? I totally lost. Well, I, I, there's a, there's a tableau of like sixteen characters, right. and they have money bags on all of them. And every time one of them gets knocked off, their money bags slide to the next character. Ah, uh, yes. And you're just trying to have pools. the most money at the end, you so multiple people money, can yeah. escape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, if you're playing with three players, you each have you each are trying to get six different heirs out. But there right. are cards that let you steal airs from the other people. So right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a weird game. It works, and it's yeah. a, it can be it's garbage, but it's whatever. It was fun. It taps into the, like the our kids' love of Home Alone, though, right? It's like all these oh yeah, weird it's traps the toy that part f- that that's in, enticing to her. Like it's yeah, yeah. 
these weird traps that are falling on people's heads and stuff. But the discipline sounds like it sounds like fun, like most trap, right? Like the, that commercial for most trap. The premise of most trap is like this looks amazing. Oh my oh god, my these god. crazy things! I can imagine what the, the commercial so for, for 1313 Dead and Drive must have looked incredible. You Macy know, loved mouse trap, and I like snuck it out of the house because yeah. it's so painful to play. The newer versions, uh, I think, fix part of the the like. The you have to build it as you <laughs> yeah. go. So you roll and you move and you hope that you can build a piece and you roll and you move yeah. and you hope that you can build a piece. And then you get stuck in this endless cycle at the end until it's over. Yeah. And like the new ones come like prefabricated, some of them. So like, it, you just, I guess you just play the game and you just, yeah. She loved that game and like, so boring. Yeah. Sam too. We Tedious. ended up picking, picking up a copy. I think we, we assembled it twice and did the, you know, the Rube Goldberg aspect of it. And then I was like, yeah, it's got to go. This I kept asking her, do you go. want me to just set up the machine and then you can play the machine? And she's like, no, I want to play the game. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I I had a, a bit of fun the other day, which ultimately Sam did too. But um, I don't know how long I've owned Thunderstone Quest now. Long, long enough. Um, I've written about it extensively over a year ago, I think. But I have been doing a, a thing where... The, I kickstarted this game, Thunderstone Quest. It's an AEG game, a, a deck builder in the vein of, of Dominion, but it's fantasy-based, Dungeons & Dragons style, sword and sorcery. Um, but I kickstarted Thunderstone Quest, and it came with uh, so many scenarios. It basically came with, I think, five expansions in the all-in Kickstarter pledge. I couldn't resist it because, you know, as we all know, and if anyone listening, Thunderstone's one of my favorite games. Um but what I was doing was, I'm like, well, there's so many cards in here. I'm not going to open them all at once. I'm going to play through the scenario book. And as I, as I get through it, um, I'm going to open a package during uh, each new scenario. And I was fine with that for a little while. But what I decided to do the other day was rather than wait to open these packages one by one, I said, Sam, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open them all uh, and see the art. I was just kind of tired. I don't break the game out enough. So I was like, I'm going to open them all. And I, what I want, my ultimate goal, of course, was I wanted to try the Epic variant. You and I tried the Epic variant for Thunderstone Advance a long time ago. And, you know, a lot of people like big reviewers like Tom Vassell had often said, that's the only way to play Thunderstone is uh, where, and it's very tedious in, in, in Thunderstone with, Advance. With Thunderstone Advance, I disagreed when we played it that way. Totally, me too. And part of the reason I disagreed is because of the 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 tedium of setting it up, where you have to t- remove one of each card um, from their slots in the organizer and set it up. Because the idea is, you know, Thunderstone is is like Dominion that has a set market, where it's the same cards. You, you do a you can do a random setup, but you can do a scenario setup. So you know, there might be six items in the market, but it's always those six items. So what the Epic variant does is you take every card that's in the game, all the items get put in one deck all the weapons get put in one deck all the spells get put in one deck so potentially you know you don't know what the market's going to look like so it gives it you know we talked about deck building a a few episodes ago it gives it that ascension feel where the market can fluctuate there's no two copies of the same weapon or item in the game and then similarly for the heroes that you have access to you put all the heroes in the game and then for the monsters you take 10 random level one monsters 10 random level two monsters and you put them in their slots and uh, 
I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I in the new one. Yeah, in the new yeah. one. I think I think so. And probably as a solo, I think if you and I did it, I think we would have a similar experience where it gets a little too random and a little too crazy, uh, and you could you could possibly play through it and not really get any synergy in the deck. You know, we talked about Dominion, and a big part of the joy of Dominion is in kind of looking at that market mm-hmm. and trying to piece out what kind of deck you want to build that's going to get a good engine going and get some good flow going in in the game with the epic variant of thunderstone it's really hard to gauge you're kind of looking at the market every turn and hoping that there's a card there that's going to work with your deck so i think in a competitive game that could become unbalanced and feel kind of weird in a solo game thematically it does enough that i think it's probably the only way i'll play it solo where it makes so much sense thematically (laughs) thematically i think it's it's kind of silly that you go to the the shop in the market and they have everything ever but they don't though not all at once no no yeah slowly but you know everything yeah but that makes more sense it's all there maybe right but you know to me i look at this as uh you go to the market and you're like yeah today i got a i got a long sword and i got a crossbow and i got a potion I come back next week. I might have something else. Yeah. Versus, you know, every time you go in the shop, it's like, man, do you have anything besides that? That sword? How many pull knives do you sword? have? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so, and then for me, the hero setup works really well. Where like almost every time you go back to the village, there's a different looking wizard around and yeah. a different looking dwarf. Around. And then you don't know what's in the dungeon, which is my favorite part. Is that? Oh yeah, I, I like that. You can idea, you can sure. meet any anything in the dungeon versus knowing that they're all goblins, that they're all yeah uh, animals. So. Yeah, it's quite a bit of fun. May have been a bit too easy, but we'll see. Yeah, I I could be. I mean, I would, obviously I would try it again. Yeah. Oh God. I think you know. It's. I think we probably uh, that one time that we tried it with Thunderstone Advance, uh, that lack of anything paying out, probably just put me off of <laughs> that. And concept. honestly, I would never do it if uh, if the Kickstarter didn't come with uh, an epic. What they did, which is really nice, uh, whatever, they they charged everyone for it. Yeah, it's a separate deck. And honestly, if if they released a version of that game where they're like, you know what, if this is the way people want to play, here it is. It's 100 cards or something. It could be in a, it could be on a small shelf. It could, it's just, just it's just cards. And you could play this epic version with a copy of everything. And it would play a bit more like Ascension. But he keeps saying, uh, play this epic. Is it, is it epic? Yeah, it feels epic. No, it I really mean, does. Is, it, is, it, is that what the game Epic is? Oh, yeah, I wonder. It's sitting right there. Just in the box of cards. As, does as Epic have said. a solo variant? You could you could learn it on your own? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. I don't think so. Seems like it's a, a head-to-head kind of magic, the gathering kind of thing. But anyways, I was really happy to bust, the, bust open all those cards and check out the art and see the new monsters. And, it was fun. It made me happy. Like I a kid to, in the candy store. I wanted to talk about Coimbra because we started playing Coimbra. But I spent so much time talking about kids Mystery games, Sunday. Man. We play, well, we know, play a lot more kids' games lately than, you know, oh, than, yeah. than big games. But uh, Coimbra is a lot of fun. We should talk about that sometime. Coimbra is a lot of fun. I need to play it again, but I really enjoyed my first play of it. Um, yeah, excited to try that one again. I'll be. But, uh, I can't wait till we can try that with with like four players. It'll be yeah. a, it'll be a different game. It'll be a lower scoring game. 
For sure. there's, only, there's only four rounds in that. It doesn't matter. I can't start talking about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody, I do have some, nobody knows what I'm talking about. And yeah. Some board game news worth mentioning that uh I don't know if it's the, worth mentioning, but Kickstarter for the Dark Road, is that? Merchants of the Dark Road is up, yeah, yeah which looks really good. Uh looks like a really cool game. Um I think we talked about it last time, Andrew Bosley's art. Um, I think we've talked about it the last three times. Yeah, probably. My big, uh, the Kickstarter I'm excited for, uh, and not that I'm really excited for it, I'm more interested to see, is this Terraforming Mars big box. Have you seen this? No. It was supposed to come out today, but they pushed it to next Tuesday. Uh, basically, I guess I guess Stronghold or, or Frick's Games have seen so many people with the Etsy or the... Um, the oh, board the game 3D upgrades game. 3D tiles. They're they're putting a Kickstarter for a big box, the 3D tiles. It's basically a storage solution and the 3D tiles. Um, apparently, it doesn't really come with anything else. A few cards, but I'm really curious because I've wanted the. Uh, I've been really interested in having these 3D tiles for the game because I, I really like terraforming Mars. Um, but uh, and, and I think this is worth a conversation down the road too. Is like how how not necessarily how you and I feel about it, but the how some people really want these upgrades for for the games, like the bling or the uh, the aesthetic appeal of having metal coins and the three D tiles or minis versus standees, which we kind of talked about a little while ago. But for some reason, Terraforming Mars, you know, it can take a couple hours to play. It usually does in a multiplayer game, but even in a solo game, it might take an hour or an hour and a half. Um, and I think there's something that would be really satisfying in seeing the planet as you're terraforming the trees actually uh grow in in a 3d kind of space versus mm. just laying these flat tiles down so i'm hoping that the kickstarter is is affordable uh, but i got a feeling it probably because i've priced these uh you know people selling them on etsy and people selling them on uh the board game expansions or board game upgrades i forget that what that site's called but they're in other countries by the time it would get here i think it's pretty much over a hundred dollars uh, which I just can't can't do that for. No, I looked at the aesthetic. I looked at another Kickstarter today that was uh, the print and play that I've that I have here, uh, and it just kickstarted. And like the shipping to Canada is two thirds of the cost of the game. Yeah, and you know, that's, which I could see. Like I got a feeling the terraforming Mars thing is going to be the same because ultimately it's a big box with weight in it with 3d tiles so it might the shipping just might kill it but like this this game is a small card game it's a small box and it's like 30 dollars for the game and 20 dollars for shipping Ah, and i just brutal you know i can't just can't uh i didn't realize and maybe you've mentioned it where the dark road uh, merchants of the dark road is the the same designer as cold water crown and uh his other one freshwater fly fishing one yeah we didn't we didn't mention that i only realized it uh between last time and this time but yeah and both of those games get uh pretty good pretty good press pretty good reviews cold water crown i've I've only heard good things about yeah yeah and it's a it's a such a no one really does uh there's not a lot of fishing games that that get no. done and that get done well there's a lot of like uh hokey fishing games oh like god yeah monopoly style or roll and yeah. move type fishing games but none of them like that really 
dig into mechanics and and try and capture fishing and it seems like those two games stand out uh yeah well the 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 fly fishing one looks just really interesting uh aesthetically with the components isn't it like a rondelle on the reel of the rod or something yeah like it looks really and it's a river too like and i think the the cards are are moving down the river and stuff too and you're yeah yeah it's cool i think the merchants of the dark road uh i want to use the fishing of of those as an excuse to just buy them uh for my brother-in-law so that i can play them like his his son loves games and they love games and he doesn't like uh heavier games much but i'd be like it's a fishing game and uh then i'd be able to be a justified i had the exact same thought to the point i almost kick-started the the fly fishing game because Susie's parents were huge fly fisher fishers in uh in fishers uh salmon fished in newfoundland all the time and uh but I, I I read the rule book and everything, and I was like, nah, like we, I don't I don't think I think it'd be a little too heavy. Like we mm-hmm. and they've played games with us. They've played Catan with us and um, Scrabble and Ticket to Ride maybe. But I thought this one, I don't well, know. If- we should uh, start working on a simplified fishing game to play with uh, Susie's parents. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Mm. The other thing I saw today. Um, which I'm excited about, but I really know absolutely nothing about, is uh, Jamie Stagmeyer just posted a pixelated image of the next Stonemeyer game. Oh, yeah, the only one they're releasing this year. Yeah, which presumably based on the, uh, they do that little chart that they send out in their emails uh, yeah. telling you which games are closest to uh, further along in development, that this is codenamed Sand, uh, which have a lot of people on Instagram speculating that uh it's either desert themed or a sandbox game or both it's i think it's the it's going to be a sandbox game because he's been talking about that uh for a long time in his emails and stuff where he's like asking people's opinions about what do you think about this and a lot of times sandbox stuff comes up so it's true. Right before he released Tapestry or, or a little while before he was asking questions to like, would you pay more money for a deluxified game kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, just doing his market research. No, I said no. <laughs> <laughs> Why won't he listen to me? Yeah. It's not that I won't. It's that I can't. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah. That's it. Wow. I'm calling it. Time flies. Time flies. Fishing flies. Oh, beautiful. Not really. That was pretty bad. <laughs> that was pretty bad. That was like season four bad. Mitch and Steve talking board, board games. games. Oh, almost. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, next, next time. We'll keep yeah. working on it. Yeah. All right. See you, Steve. See you, Mitch. See you next time. Yeah.